Welcome to Faith and Family, a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. And now from Greenville, South Carolina, here's your host, Steve Wood. Hello, this is Steve Wood, and welcome to Faith and Family as we continue our family Bible studies in the Gospel of Luke. Today we're in Luke chapter 11, and today we're going to be talking about how to have a vital connection with the Father. And when I begin reading these verses from Luke chapter 11, you're going to get a real big hint right away on how to have a vital connection with the Father. Luke 11, starting in verse 1. He was praying in a certain place, and when he ceased, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus instructs his disciples how to pray teaching them the Our Father, slightly different words than in the Gospel of Matthew. But here's the point. Jesus' disciples were observing Jesus, and they knew he had a unique connection and a personal relationship with God due to prayer. So they asked him to teach them how to pray because they were desirous of that same relationship with God. You know, the Barna Group, the research group, reports that 20% of young adults who attended church as a teen say that God seems to be missing from my experience of the church. That's profoundly sad. God is missing from my experience of the church. Well, that is supposed to be the experience of the church, but it gets even more serious Sherry Wendell, in her book, Forming Intentional Disciples, reports that young adult Catholics of them, only 40% believe that having a personal relationship with God is possible. That means that 60% believe that it's impossible to have a personal relationship with God. Personally, I don't think it's a coincidence that the dropout rates of Catholics approaching, young adult Catholics, approaching two-thirds is about equal to those who think that it's impossible to have a personal relationship with God. Now, I dare say, if today's young adult Catholics and older teens who are tempted to drift away from the faith were just traveling with Jesus's disciples and happen to be noticing Jesus in prayer, they would be joining in with the disciples and saying to Jesus, teach us, us to pray, because in doing so, this personal connection with God would become very real. So let's dig into the prayer. And I'm only going to highlight two aspects because we need to go on to some verses right after this to put together a conception of what Jesus is driving at here, because the Gospel of Luke has some very interesting and very important and unique teachings as we get a little further on in chapter 11. But let's start at the beginning 
of the Lord's Prayer, and it's the first word, Father. If there's one word that parents could focus on to deepen their own spiritual life, and if there's one word that parents in teaching their children the faith could focus on, and the same with catechists and deacons and priests and youth leaders, you name it, it's the word Father. And the reason is, honestly, it's so profound that uh, it, it might be easy to miss, but I'm going to read to you just a little section from paragraph 2780 of the Catechism of the Catholic Church. It's talking about prayer, talking about the Our Father, and it says, we can invoke God as Father. Well, you know, everybody knows that. Well, they don't know the significance of it, because if it did, you wouldn't be drifting away from the faith. You would be so anchored to the faith and the core of your being, you wouldn't be tempted to drift away. And why is Father so important? And here's what the Catechism says. The personal relation of the Son to the Father is something that man cannot conceive of, and yet the Spirit of the Son grants a participation in that very relationship to us who believe that Jesus is the Christ. Now, that's paragraph 2780. This is one of those paragraphs that's worth underlining and thinking about, maybe for a really long time, but I'm just going to try to simplify it and paraphrase it. Okay, let's start with the first picture is the Blessed Trinity, the center of our faith. And in the Blessed Trinity, you have this relationship between God the Father and God the Son. It's this profound relationship. It's also shared with the Holy Spirit, but I'm going to share about the Holy Spirit in just a second. You have this relationship between the Father and the Son, and what the Catechism is saying is that through the grace of the Holy Spirit given to us who believe in Jesus, we get to share in that relationship. Not kind of metaphorically, kind of, sort of, out there in space type of thing. No. In our lives, in this time and place in history, and again, you're going to probably grow weary of me keep emphasizing aspects of how to keep young people solid in the faith in the 21st century. And don't worry, by the time we get to 2025, I might back off on this, And but we need at least seven more years, so we have this till the ship turns, till the young people aren't leaving. This is it right here. We're not talking about a metaphorical relationship, not talking about a symbolic relationship. The, the relationship above all relationships in the universe is the relationships within the Holy Trinity. And what this is saying is that the Father and the Son are willing to share their relationship with believers and the Holy Spirit makes this a reality. And this is incredible. I'm going to ask you a question. <laughs> and this question, I am so happy about the answer because, well, I won't tell you because. I just have to ask the question first. What is the Bible verse most quoted by St. Augustine? 
Now, obviously, St. Augustine wrote so much, and he cited so many scripture passages, but the one most quoted by St. Augustine, he quoted over 200 times. Guess what that verse was? It's a verse that just drives and drives and drives me in what I am trying to do for Catholic families in today's world, because it's the key to the success of the Catholics in the first century living in the midst of pagan Rome. When babies were who were unwanted were taking, taken out to the garbage dump and left. This is the anti-life, anti-Christ culture about to be persecuted by Caesar, and yet they succeeded. And I'm telling you why, and it's found right in the verse, cited over 200 times by St. Augustine. Romans, and Romans was written to Roman Catholics in Rome, Romans 5.5. God's love. What's God's love? God's love is the relationship between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's Trinitarian love. And this is just incomprehensible love. But it says God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, which has been given to us. This is just amazing because in the first century, and that needs to be in the 21st century, the experiential reception of the Holy Spirit was the mark of having believed in Christ in that early Roman Catholic Church. And, and this is what changes your life. This is what gives you an anchor for your faith, no matter what's going on in the culture. And you know, today, as young people are initiated into the sacraments and are catechized, they are told that God loves them. Now, don't get me wrong. It's not a bad deal to tell young people that God loves them. We obviously should. But do we have to tell them that God loves them for them to know that God loves them? Because Romans 5.5 5 is talking about an overwhelming knowledge, a reality, and an experience of God's love poured into their hearts. This is like an invasion from the future, and it's not from aliens invading anything. It's the Holy Spirit from the future has invaded the present age of the church and poured the love of the Blessed Trinity within the hearts of believers. This is the type of thing that marks a Christian, and yet as Christians, uh, we're suffering from a type of amnesia because like that paragraph from the Catechism I just cited to you, that we're participating in the love of the Blessed Trinity? I can't quite get that. And I want to read to you a short paragraph from a new book I'm writing on this whole theme, and let me just give it to you. A primary reason why so many millions of young Catholics are bored with the church and so casually can walk away from the practice of their faith is that they have never awakened to the overwhelming reality of God's love for them. This awakening isn't a shallow, transitory, emotional experience. This awakening occurs at a much deeper level than the emotions. It's a work of the Holy Spirit bringing a deep, experiential knowledge of God's love to the core of one's being. And once experienced, it defines a person's view of themselves and reorients everything around this 
core of knowing deep within that you are personally loved as a child of God Almighty. This is the Roman Catholic faith. Now, how does this become a reality in our lives? Well, Romans 5.5, St. Augustine's 200 times plus cited verse, God's love has been poured into our hearts. How? Through the Holy Spirit, which has been given to us. Now, before we get to the Holy Spirit, I just need a little, just a pause here, just for a second, because there's a big hurdle that stands in the way of really living in the constant awareness of God's love for us. And that's a thing called sin, okay? Now, the Our Father is a prayer that Jesus gave to his disciples. And when the Our Father prayer says, forgive us our sins, it's talking about disciples sinning. Now, I generally, I guess I don't know, 99% of you listening to me right now over the air But in a way, I do know you because I know me. I know my program director. I know my family. I know my neighbors. I know the friends at my parish. We're sinners. We sin, okay? And it is my estimation that one of the most difficult things for a Christian to do is to believe that God can love them even though they blow it, they sin, okay? Now, the Our Father, Jesus teaches us to approach God as Father for the forgiveness of sins. And I'm going to share with you a passage that I think is remarkable in its promise of the Father's love. You know, as a Protestant pastor, it took me about eight, nine, maybe even ten years to figure out what people's needs were. And I thought they were rather complicated when I started as a young pastor, but I grew to knew that it was assurance of God's love and forgiveness for them. That is the real test of faith. For many people, it's not that Jesus could walk on water or perform a miracle or feed to 5,000. It's, can God love me even though he knows me? And here is a passage that connects with the Our Father. Father, forgive us our sins. This is from Psalm 138, starting in verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor requite us according to our iniquities. For as the heavens are high above the earth, So great is his steadfast love towards those who fear him. And here, the next two verses, 12 and 13, are just just superb. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. And verse 13, as a father pities his children, so the Lord pities those who fear him. You know, when... One of my sons was young. We had a uh, big German shepherd. I bought one of these gigantic bones for our shepherd. And one day my son picked up the bone and uh, just wanted to give it a fling. You know, there's nothing wrong with that. And his fling didn't go where it intended. Instead, it went through one of the windows in our home. And his immediate reaction is, will dad be mad? Well, you know, I wasn't happy we had a broken window, but I didn't 
disinherit my son. I didn't kick him out of the house. I didn't do any of that type of thing. No, he's a young boy. He made a mistake. And, and it's trying, God's trying to say, you know, if you will do that with your kids, God the Father is incomparably greater and more loving and more steadfast as love than you are as a parent. So we need to come as disciples realizing that we sin. God knew that we would sin, and Jesus gave us a way to ask for forgiveness using the Lord's Prayer, using a sacrament that he's given us, okay? We just need to take care of that because we're dealing with a connection with God the Father, and the big rub is condemnation that we pour on ourselves and sometimes comes as spiritual warfare. Now, we need to have assurance that God and does love us and he will forgive us if we simply confess our sins. All right, now we come to a portion of Scripture right after the Our Father in Luke, and, and these are really important because they need to be pulled together to really get the importance of it. And Jesus talked about the idea of being very persistent in prayer. And then he says this, I tell you, ask and it will be given you. You don't have to jump through hoops or do a hundred incredibly holy things to merit God's love or to merit answered prayer. It says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. All right, so ask, seek, knock. Now, what we are talking about is a relationship with that. Remember that one word we wanted to focus on in the beginning of the Our Father? And it's the word Father. How do we have a relationship with God the Father? And mom and dad, this isn't something you force feed on your children or yourself, but you simply pray for in faith, knowing that God loves you. But the question is, we ask and seek and knock in prayer for what? Well, Jesus is going to say, so that the Father gives good gifts. Now, I'm going to read three verses, uh, that Luke chapter 11, verse 11 and 12, and then verse 13 has something very specific about what we ask, seek, and knock for, and it's the key to having relationship with the Father, and it's only found in Luke chapter 11 and verse 13. So here we go, starting in verse 11 of Luke 11. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion. And Jesus is simply comparing, like, what dads among you, if your son or daughter asks for Cheerios, are going to give them a rattlesnake, or asks for fish crackers, are going to give them a scorpion. You're not going to do that. So Jesus says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Now, in the Gospel of Matthew, 
it records Jesus saying, and possibly a, a, a similar circumstance or environment, but it simply says good gifts, and there's many good gifts. But what's the good gift amongst all the other gifts? Oh, you say, you know, well, you know, I prayed that my son would get in a such and such university and we could have the money to pay for it. That's an answered prayer and, and that's a good gift, but that's a thing. That's an event. And a lot of things we pray for are good things and God's answers are good gifts. But the greatest gift that God can give you and your children and your friends and your family members, and your neighbors, the best gift is himself. And that's what the Holy Spirit is doing, is the good gift of the Holy Spirit. That's what the Father gives to those who ask him. The Heavenly Father, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And several times in the New Testament, it talks about the giving of the Holy Spirit as the promise of the Father. The promise of the Father. Think of this. It's Jesus is his divine son, and we are adopted into the family of God and made children of God, and God shares his divine love with us and in us. And the epistle to Galatians, St. Paul writes, and because you are sons, God has sent the Holy Spirit of his Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Now, how does this all fit together in Catholic life? Because if you're awake and following me here, uh, you would say, well, you know, we got the Holy Spirit uh, when we were baptized, and we were given the gift of being a child of God. We were inserted into that divine relationship between the Father and the Son when we were baptized, and, and we exercise faith, we grow in that love, but it's very interesting and, and you've heard me several times before emphasize it's really, really helpful to read and reread the homilies of Pope Benedict XVI at World Youth Days, particularly in Sydney, because there is an emphasis there in the Holy Spirit. And what Pope Benedict did at World Youth Day in Sydney, he wasn't uh, uh, asking the young people to seek something they didn't have, but to awaken or renew or unwrap, so to speak. It's like getting a Christmas present. All you got to do is unwrap it in faith. Ask, seek, knock. This is the promise of the Father. This is big stuff. And to come to the realization, though, rather than living with amnesia, uh, concerning who we are and our relation to the, to the Father, we just simply need an awakening and an awakening. And you'd say, well, is, is that really uh, something uh, we should pray for? Well, you know, on one of the, not one of the, probably the most holy nights in, in the whole church year is the Easter Vigil. And there's a prayer that's prayed at the Easter Vigil, 
And this prayer is so important, it's worth going just to the Eastern Vigil to, to participate in this prayer. And here's how that prayer goes. O God, who made this most sacred night radiant with the glory of the Lord's resurrection, stir up in your church a spirit of adoption, so that renewed in body and mind, we may render you undivided service. This is the key. The Holy Spirit, in answer to prayer, delivering the promise of the Father, awakening us to the reality of his love, will enable us to live in any cultural environment. This is from a book entitled The Forgotten Father, a book that I have referred to multiple times over several years, and it talks about the Holy Spirit revealing God's fatherhood. It says, when the Holy Spirit reveals God's fatherhood on the level of our spirit in this way, then it ceases to be a dead doctrine that can at best win intellectual assent, but penetrates to the hidden springs of our personality, and not merely with emotional warmth, but with life-transforming vitality, so that what we do not simply know as a truth, but we enter into a conscious relationship with the one whom that truth proclaims. We're not having a relationship with just words or just with doctrines, and we want words and doctrines, but we want to point to the one who himself is truth and wants us to have a family-like covenant relationship with him. And he goes on, the Forgotten Father book, at the springs of our being, deeper than emotion or even intellect, although moving and informing both, the Holy Spirit cries to us and in our fear and unbelief convinces us that the Father of Jesus is our Father too. And as he does it, all life begins to change and become new. You know, there's a lot of plans out there for the new evangelization and for reaching young people in today's world and, you know, buy a lot of expensive this or that or do this or that. But I dare say this is the essence. The disciples noticed that Jesus had this relationship with God. They wanted it. Jesus told them how to get it. Ask, seek, knock, approach the Father for the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit, and he will bring that living relationship between the Father and the Son. The Holy Spirit will bring it to you. So what do we pray? Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful and enkindle in them the fire of your love. I'm Steve Wood, your host, and you've been listening to episode 243 of Faith and Family. Faith and Family is a radio outreach of Family Life Center International. Visit us online at familylifecenter.net. To order a CD copy of today's broadcast, order online at www.familylifecenter.net.